0: Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Team's podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. The words we use make a difference in how we make others feel, but if we don't know much about the other person's culture or experiences, it's difficult to know which words are best to choose. Welcome to the newest series in the Why Language Matters podcast, Cultural Conversations, These conversations are a safe and interactive events for Sunrunners to attend live. One Sunrunner will come and talk about themselves. They'll share their culture, their life experiences, stories, personal anecdotes, while others can come and join and ask questions and share their life experiences as well. So welcome everyone to our very first cultural conversations. Really, really excited to get this one kicked off. These conversations are a safe and respectful place for us to get to know each other and other Sunrunners through open dialogue and just sharing of our personal experiences, cultures, and being able to ask questions, engage, listen, and learn. So we encourage everybody to ask questions during the conversation today. Uh, Kathy is totally fine if, if you have a question while she's talking. She's totally comfortable with you kind of chiming in if you have a question here and there, but we'll also keep room at the end for q and I'm Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm located down in Orange County, California, so Southern California, and I'm the program lead on the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging team. I'll be here just to help moderate the Q and A, and really excited to introduce Kathy O oh to everyone. Kathy is um, very involved in all of our ERG and DIB programs. She's the Culture and Belonging lead on our Asian Plus ERG, and she's here to talk about her and some of her experiences.
1: Thank you, Nicole. Uh, hey, everyone. My name is Katherine O, but you can call me Kathy. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a retail sales supervisor and the Asian Plus ERG culture lead, like Nicole said, and I'm based out of Chicago, but I'm originally from California. Who you see today is not who I'm going to describe to you today, but spoiler alert, today I am very proud and confident to say that I am a Korean-American who loves and embraces her cultures. Um, this is a story about East meets West meets mid- Midwest. So my parents moved to a from Seoul or Seoul as we call it uh, in the early 80s. And we have the typical immigrant struggle story, which I won't get into all the details. But I do want to go over some of the origin story, right? From early on, I've lived in Koreatown in LA as a baby, and then I moved to Down, which is East LA, and I grew up there. Grew, I'm sorry, I grew up there until about 13. I only spoke Korean until the age of five, and after about one year in kindergarten, I pretty much only spoke English. Just complete flip flop, uh, and I spoke what I would call Konglish with my parents, which is a combination of uh, Korean and English. Downey at that time was predominantly Hispanic, and so all of my friends growing up were Hispanic. And I wasn't really for being Korean, but I definitely knew that I was different. When I was a kid in middle school and elementary school, you know, I, instead of embracing or defending my heritage, I kind of rejected it. And I would essentially, you know, beat them to the punch, right? So I would, I would put out the jokes myself before anyone else could say it when I when I felt I was like, oh, I feel a joke coming on. So let, let me just beat them to it. And say, Oh, my gosh, I know I'm such a fob. I'm so good at math, fob meaning fresh off the boat. Uh, or Oh, my gosh, I know totally my eyes are so small that I can't see I would, I would bully myself uh, just so that I wouldn't let anyone else bully me. Um, During middle school, I started getting in trouble a lot running with the wrong crowd. Uh, Let's just say I wore a lot of black eyeliner. Uh, And I think in some ways, I chose to stand out as a little goth metal kid instead of standing out as one of the only Asian kids in that school. Right before high school. My parents moved us from Downey, California, which is east of LA, to Brea, California, which is on the northern tip of Orange County. And it was because of me. And this was a hard move. It was, you know, it it cost a lot. And we were never financially stable for most of my childhood. And they thought that they were doing what was best for me. And of course, looking back, it was. However, in that moment, when I transferred, I was so resentful. I was just finding my own identity, finally, you know, starting to embrace who I was. And then all of a sudden, I was thrown from a mostly, uh, you know, Hispanic school to a mostly Caucasian and Asian school. And then I felt even more out of place because there were other Koreans, which you would think it's, that's great. But I realized how different I was from them. And it made me feel more different. And I felt isolated from now two more worlds. So I rejected anyone who tried to make friends with me, and now I had a whole new layer of insecurity, which was my economic background. Uh, A lot of people consider Braille, you know, middle to higher class, and I I came from a lower income area. And then also, too, my family themselves, we were very lower income. I remember, you know, months where we didn't have electricity in high school or even water, and so I would have to wash myself like over the sink at my parents' uh, mini market store and you know the clothes oh my gosh the clothes is a whole nother topic because in brea where everyone's you know wearing abercrombie and girls at juicy couture and all that stuff i whatever clothes i had i basically stole from the mall and luckily for my look because i was a little miss goth it was cool to have tattered old you know black clothes so it worked out but you know on top of feeling already ugly and and not Korean enough to be friends with the Korean kids and not Americanized enough to be with the kids in Brea. I just it was just a whole nother thing. I was like, wow, cool. We're, we're also poor, right? So I never felt more different. Like I said, I think one of the biggest things that I struggled with was just my self esteem and with my physical appearance. Um, I felt ugly, I felt foreign. Um, and I just didn't feel like I belonged in Orange County. But also in the Korean world, right, I felt that I felt weird. And a lot of Koreans said that I was whitewashed. And I felt that I didn't belong. And I want to address the term whitewashed or whitewashing, because it's got such a negative connotation. And I always resented it in my mind. Because in my mind, I thought, well, when someone says that I'm whitewashed, what does that mean? You know. I thought i was american i was born in america i was born and raised in downey so how, how am i whitewashed? It, it didn't make sense to me and to this day it's a term i hear way too often uh, again it was just it just made me feel different and not in a good way it wasn't in a way that i could embrace myself yet but my mom was one of the most confident women that I've ever known. So I trained myself to defend myself and own my identity and culture, although I wasn't entirely embracing it just yet during my high school years. I wanna talk about something that I did when I was 18. So my mom had secretly been saving money to get me a special type of cosmetic surgery called blepharoplasty, or sometimes they call it the double eyelid surgery. Um, this, the procedure itself basically is for those who have monolids, uh, and let me try to explain this. Uh, most eyelids have either a fold or a crease above, uh, above their eyes where the, your eyelid could kind of recess back into, and it creates a fold, and it allows your eyes to open up bigger. Um, a lot of Asians don't and I didn't. Uh, so what that means is instead of having a, like an area, a crease or a full for the skin to recess back into it just kind of like, it just crumbles up or doesn't let you open your eyes as much. So um, you might be thinking, you know, if, if y'all were struggling so much financially, why would you get this cosmetic surgery? Well, this surgery is very blase, very commonplace in South Korea. It's it's almost like getting braces or like, I would even see like getting your eyebrows waxed. It's it's not something where you have to question morality or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. Um, so one day in an illegal surgery room in the back of a skin clinic above a pho restaurant in Garden Grove, I got my eyelids sliced open, stitched and cauterized, all while being totally awake and feeling most of the pain it was pretty gruesome. I won't get into the details. And I don't want you to think that I made a bad choice or that my mom's a horrible mom for putting me through that she saved and borrowed money. Uh, and because this is something I begged for for years, once I found out about the surgery, and I realized my sister had the surgery, I begged for it. And I don't regret it. Uh, I do wonder why I was willing to go through so much pain at such a young age to look a certain way. Uh, but it's just in, in my eyes in my eyes no pun intended uh when i looked at myself i've envisioned myself a certain way i wanted my hair to be a certain way I, I wanted my skin to be a certain way i wanted piercings to be a certain way oh my gosh i had so many piercings back in the day which again was so not okay in the korean world um uh, but that's something i also had to fight against uh my mom she knew how I, I'm pretty sure she knew how low my self-esteem was. I don't think that she understood that it was deeper than just how my eyes looked and how I wanted to put on eye makeup and stuff like that. Uh, while I, I did feel that my eyes were, you know, prettier or more, more fun to do makeup on. Um, the lack of self-confidence and self-worth were still there. Something I was continuing to work on. So, Let's actually move forward to cut to being an adult and let's talk about something more adult, which is dating. Uh, I've mostly dated outside of my heritage and it's just my personal taste. It it just happened that way. So believe it or not, my mom, who is super traditional, she's totally come to terms with it. She just says, you know, whoever makes you happy and treats you right. right. And she confessed finally um, in my early 20s that it wasn't that she wanted pure Korean babies or anything like that it was her fear that if I was dating American born men, that I would be fetishized or objectified because in her generation, she's heard a lot of bad stories where, you know, Asian women from Asia marry American men, and then they end up in unhappy marriages or just unhappy situations. Not all of course, but a lot, but this wasn't the 1970s or eighties. Right. And um, at times were different, but she wasn't completely wrong either. So, Dating is hard as it is, but I had an extra layer of microaggressions to weed through. So some of the things that I would hear uh, a lot, which is something like, oh, I heard Asian women are really submissive. No, that's a good thing, right? Like, I want to hear that. Or, you know, maybe they were just way too into the fact that I was Asian, and maybe they read a lot of manga or watched a lot of anime as a kid, and they want me to be this, you know, Sailor Moon-esque, like, archetype. And that's something else I had to deal with. But after years of dating in Southern California and Vegas, where I eventually moved to, I was able to be confident enough to wade through those people and have a handful of really good relationships. Again, with each milestone, with every few years, I've learned to accept myself, my appearances, my differences, and embrace it. Uh, I'm going to bring you a couple years more into the future um, when I transfer to the suburbs of Chicago. So this is where I say East meets West meets Midwest. Uh, my sister moved out here a few years ago prior to me, um, and she let me know, hey, just so you know, it's still really segregated out here, um, so just look out for that. And I told her, "Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You know, At that time, it was like 2017. I was like, what are you talking about? It's 2017, that doesn't happen anymore. And I grew up in Southern California and then moved to Vegas. So I just rolled my eyes and I said, you're being dramatic, or you're being old fashioned, or you're being paranoid. I'm not going to have a problem with racist, right? I just thought it was far and few in between. But after having been a field sales consultant for a few months, I understood what she was saying. Uh, so for those of you who are not in, in, the, in the sales org, uh, the field sales consultant is the person who goes to the person's home to do the presentations. You're in their home, you're in front of their family. Um, that's what you do every day. Common things I would hear out here in the Midwest, and it's not Chicago that I'm doing appointments. I'm in the suburbs, if not the more rural areas, like literal, literal farmlands of Illinois. Um, and some of the things that I would hear is, you know, where are you really from? And I knew what they're asking, but I would just play along. I'd say, I'm, I'm from California. No, but like, where's your family from? Oh, they're from LA. Right. But like, but where did they really come from way back when? I'm like, oh, my parents, well, my parents are from South Korea. Right. And then here come the all the other microaggressions. Oh, I go to the Philippines all the time. Oh, I I, I was served in Nam. Do you want to see some of the things that I brought back? Oh, I, I you know, I, I dated a, an Asian gal once. Things like that that were just, you know, it, it is cringy, but I chose to not take offense to it because I didn't mind being the liaison, allowing them to feel curious and allowing them to ask me questions so that they can appreciate our differences and appreciate the culture. But every time that happened, it definitely brought me back to that feeling of feeling different and that I was being stared at, stared at, not just looked at like, like equals. And dating, oh my gosh, in the Midwest is completely different. So most of the men that I spoke to here made it very clear that they had never dated an Asian woman before. Again, not a big deal. But whereas on the West Coast when I was dating, I felt fetishized and sought after for my ethnicity. Here I felt like I had to constantly explain things and address how uncomfortable they were with it while they were in street, but it's almost like I had to show them like, hey, like it's okay, like it's just it's just skin or you know, we're we're not that different, you and I. So it was a whole nother layer of complication here. But with dating, I did not want to be the liaison into the Asian culture like I felt I like I said, because I felt like an exhibit. Like, I felt like I was a bucket list item. It, it just didn't feel good. So it made me very weary of everyone I sp- spoke to and everyone who wanted to speak to me. Especially now more than ever, politics is brought up almost as immediately as where are you from, right? And it's it's very passive microaggressions. Again, like, oh, I bet you voted for Bernie, right? Or you must be really happy that Kamala Harris is the VP, right? And it's, it's something I've never experienced before. And in the past, you know, my younger self, I can see how I would have, beat them to the punch, right? Like I did when I was a kid and say like, oh, like, you know, I'm not one of those Asians. I'm a cool Asian or like, no, I I, I don't think that way. I don't agree with that or I'm not a crazy liberal or whatever it is. I could see myself doing that if I was that older self. But now I don't play into those oppressive questions. I stand up for myself if I feel uncomfortable. Um, I don't get mad, but then sometimes I'll just toss the question right back. And especially with sales, I've learned that, uh, question-based connections are the way to go. So when someone asks a question, I'll just ask them a question right back and ask them to clarify and try to get to the root of what they're asking. And sometimes they drop drop it all together. I think they realize, you know, this isn't something that I would ask anyone else. So why am I asking this of her? This goes the same for non-dating situations too, like with friends, uh, strangers that I meet out, people that I interact with on a daily basis. And honestly, it empowers me to know that although they have a perception and an archetype of me in their heads. What I know is me. I know me, I don't know you, but I know me. I don't know what you think of me. And if you you don't know me, you can ask a question and I'll tell you about me. So I know me, I'm gonna tell y'all about me. I'm a hobby miniaturist. Yeah, this is something that most of my friends don't know. I I like to make teeny tiny things out of wood and paper and, and glue. It's, it's, and it's a really big part of me. I love arts and crafts. I love bad food, like really bad food, like chili cheese fries. I love sweet potatoes on, and kimchi. If you haven't tried it, it's really good. Um, deep fried Oreos. I love chihuahuas, like the really old, ugly ones that no one adopts. I love K-pop. I love thrash metal. I love Howard Stern. I love 90 Day Fiancé. I'm messy. I don't always work out. I like to wear a lot of makeup, even if, you know, the occasion or the place doesn't call for it. I don't dress conservatively. You know, the list goes on and on of all of the different sides of me. And for so many years, I spent looking and behaving one way in the Asian community, another way, you know, in the American community, another way with friends, another way with coworkers, another way when I was at the gym. Just so many sides of me that I felt like I had to create to fit in. And I was so focused on trying to fit in somewhere that I didn't know who I was. And I finally just decided, okay, no more. No more of that because it created such a negative thought distortion in my head uh, that told me not only is there one set of ways that I can criticize myself, but there's two or three different ways, three different dimensions that I can criticize myself. This is something that I've been working on with my life coach, which is understanding and recognizing how many negative thought distortions I had in a day, like nonstop, and how that feeds into my feelings of self-worth, my, you know, how I carry on throughout the day, my trust in my abilities and, and so forth. I don't represent the entire population of Asian Americans, right? I'm just be. see us individually for who we are, and for the amazing journey that we've been on, as we all become who we are as Americans during this time, with whatever we're going through that made us, us, right, we're we're all here, whether you were born here, you came here, you're from California, you're from New York, you had, you know, you had a great background, you had a don't, you didn't have a great background, whatever it is, all of that culminated to, to make you who you are today. And you have to accept who you are. Because what is why? Why go through all that? Why have you lived? you know, X amount of years, if you're not going to learn from that and find you. I chose to have this conversation today. Not because like I said, not because I feel like I am the face of Asian Americans far from it. I rejected it and downplayed it for years. I wanted to share my story for anyone, especially those who are first generation born of immigrant parents to, to tell you that it's okay that you're not your parents vision. It's okay that you're not America's vision. And it's okay if you're not the vision of yourself that you intended. That's something I had to struggle with too. When you learn to love yourself and embrace yourself for whatever you are, that's when you can start learning to love the beauty and the uniqueness of everything else around you. You can stop and smell the roses as they say. So thank you to everyone for letting me share my story. Um, I would love to hear if you have any questions or if you've had any similar experiences growing up. Um, but thank you so much for letting me share.
0: Thank you so much, Kathy. I um, was particularly enthralled by your, <laughs> your entire conversation and just your your whole journey. So really, really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'll open it up for Q&A. So if you have any um, questions for Kathy, if you have any other similar experiences or stories that you'd like to share, um, we'd love to hear it.
1: I do get a lot of questions about the surgery that I had. I can share like one gruesome takeaway from that story and I hope that I never experience it again just because I always get like, ooh, when, when I share the story. So the surgery too, right? It's funny because like I said, it was definitely an illegal surgery room, um, whatever, it's fine. And, and then of course the sale was on surgery. Good sign, right? When a surgery is on sale. So basically, they they do it like I said. They they cut the incision mark where you're supposed to do the fold, and you take out some fat if you have a lot of fat on your eyelids. But then the worst part that my 18 year old brain couldn't comprehend was they burned the skin. Oh my gosh! Like that that was probably the worst experience. And they did like some local anesthesia, uh, which was helped for sure. But you know, it's funny, I was in my head, because I was totally awake for all of it. And I, I think I even remember like them like holding me down, if I remember correctly. I remember telling myself like, 14 year old girls in Korea do this, 14 year old girls in Korea do this. I was just like telling myself like, you can do this, you can do this. And then it was like such a bad experience afterwards, because it got so swollen. And then I went back, you know, however many days to get the stitches removed. And then they forgot a stitch. So one of my eyes stayed, like, huge for, like, another two weeks. And they kept telling me it was going to go down. I go back. They start digging around. They're like, oh, we left a stitch. I was like, oh. And then they remove it. And it, it turned out to be okay. But I was like, man, that's a very shady surgery center. I'm glad it worked out okay. I don't know if it's still there or not. But I always like to share that gruesome story. And if you've never smelt what burned skin smells, like, oh, it's the worst. It's like I could – Relive it right now. It's so vivid.
2: I actually, it's so funny that you're mentioning like the smell of burned skin. Cause that literally happened recently. Um Prash, my partner, he had some sort of like swelling on his eyelid that needed surgical removing. So we had to go to the ophthalmologist and I wasn't sure if like he was going to need, he wasn't, he was going to be able to drive himself home. I didn't know how invasive this procedure was. So the, doctor was like stay in the room just in case and then while they were doing like draining the lump and then he cauterized it and then that scent I was like what is that I'm like is his eyes gonna be okay they're like he's like oh no it's just the smell of burning skin it was horrific I totally exactly know what you're saying
1: and it's so vivid like it's been 12, 13 years since I've had that surgery, and I could smell it. It's like so burned into my, burned literally, into my head that, yeah, you'll never forget that. And the whole, like, con- like, I get a lot of questions about this, especially when when someone finds out that I have it. But one thing that I've been thinking about recently is, um, and I brought it up to y'all on other calls before. My niece pointed it out to me, uh, and she is, she's Korean, she's four, and she asks questions like, uh, she goes emo, which is ant in Korean. She goes emo, like, why is your hair like yellow? Mine's black, you know, emo, why do you have like, you know, glitter on your eyelid? Emo, why why do you have nails and, and why are your nails so hard? It's acrylics, right? Uh, so she asked a lot of questions. And then she also asked you like, emo, like, why are your eyes different than mine? And she wasn't talking about makeup and she's four. So I don't know how to, I don't think, no, there's no way she knows about surgery. I didn't know how to even explain that it was different and i just said oh you know sometimes people's their eyes look different and she she said like well i want my eyes to look like that i don't like my eyes i like your eyes and it crushed me for a second but then i remembered i've seen a huge change a huge shift especially in korean american girls where they're not doing this surgery and i love that they're embracing their natural eyes and i wonder too you know like how do i explain this to eloise when she's older? But it's the same concept of, why do I get highlights? Why do I tan? Why do I get nails? Why do we do all these things? And I kind of had to question myself, like, what, am I, what kind of message am I sending to my niece? And then in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to get rid of everything. I'm going to go back to my black hair. I'm not going to change anything about my skin or appearance. But then I also thought, well, no, like, this is what I want. This is how I feel like I want to look. This is how I feel I am me you know, as she gets older, I'm not going to tell her, no, don't wear makeup, because that's not you. If that's what you want to wear, then wear your makeup. You know, if, if you want to wear clothes that are unconventional, and they they mismatch, or, you know, es- especially when, in Korean communities, even here in America, oh, gosh, like, you're, you know, they look at everything. They look at the outfit, they look at the clothes, they look at your weight, they look at your skin, they look at your pores, they look at your nails, they look at your hair, they look at the volume of your hair, they li- like everything is looked at. And i and I'm so thankful for this newer generation and how Koreans in America are evolving. I want her to embrace her for who she is and also feel empowered that she, she can do whatever she wants. She can have purple hair if she wants to. She can have a mohawk. She can, you know, or, you know if she wants to split her tongue and look like a lizard do whatever makes you happy you know so i've recently been trying to have these conversations with her where just support whatever decisions she she makes when she wears a crazy outfit you know she'll she'll wear like her the other day we went out for a walk and she wanted to wear her princess dress and she was like i have to wear nikes i have to wear nikes i was like go for it um so i'm really excited to see how korean american culture is going to change um especially as there's there's such a huge population here and a lot of my peers and my friends are first generation. And I'm curious to see what that generation of Korean Americans, how it's going to affect, you know the the traditions and you know dogma that we've had about being Korean here.
0: There's some of your transitions. I'm just kind of curious about like your your parents, you know, um obviously they they were immigrants. Um, so, you know, they were probably raised in a very different way than, than you might have been raised here in, in the States. Um, you know, obviously your mom um, went and, and helped you get the surgery. I- I'm curious to to hear what they if they have an opinion on like all of the other stuff, the the hair and the makeup and the nails and you know, all of all of that other stuff. Or is that is that all the same in Korea?
1: You know, it's really interesting with my parents, and I and I speak about my mom because I speak to her the most surprisingly for how traditional she is I'm very lucky that she is open-minded like I said when I was a kid I had a lot of facial piercings I had all the studded jewelry I wore a lot of black makeup which we fought over that for years but she finally said she was like whatever because I think she realized okay that doesn't mean she's a bad kid although I was getting in trouble but she was like you know in Kathy's soul she's not a bad kid so she let things go but you know Koreans not not all Koreans but there's a there's sort of a trend where Koreans are very hypercritical about things, right? Uh, even just let's just say, just starting with appearances, there is like this prototypical look of Koreans from like from Korea, right? Like hundred pounds or less, you know, lily white skin, natural hair, natural makeup, uh, you know, soft, small features. Like they're so hyper vigilant and so hypercritical about all these things, so. Growing up with my mom and, and just being a Korean, it was constant criticisms and, and things like that. So me and my sister are seven years apart and we're completely different. So when you look at my sister, um it's it's hard to describe without especially without stereotyping. But she was, I think in my parents' vision, the perfect Korean-American first-generation daughter. She went to university, didn't wear a lot of makeup. She was, like, president of Key Club. Like, everyone loved her. She went to church. She spoke Korean about, well, like, perfect. And then I went the complete opposite way. So, you know, like I said, like, I, I, I've been dyeing my hair since I was, like, 15 or 16. I've been getting acrylic since I was, like, 16. I did all the makeup. I did all the bad clothes. I did all, like, everything possible wrong my mom accepted it. But to this day, there's still a lot of critique. So I think, you know, one of the things that me and my mom actually had a conversation about, in terms of my self esteem recently was, you know, they would make fun of me for a lot of things. They made fun of me for the fact that my neck wasn't long, they made fun of my eyes for being so little to this day, like yesterday, they made fun of me for my teeth being small, because I have really small teeth, I have like child sized teeth. And then there's this TikTok filter where it shows you, you know, you can have like what it's I think it's called like the gritting filter or something. And I was like, look, I have regular sized teeth. And she even made fun of that. So it's this weird culture where we're constantly critiquing each other. And I told her, I was like, hey, can you not do that in front of Eloise? Because she's visiting next week from from West Covina. And she's like, why? She got offended. And I said, I don't want Eloise to think that anything's different or that anything needs to change. And then she got offended. And she was like, well, if she's doing something wrong or if something's wrong with her, I'm going to tell her. I was like, no, mom. I was like, it, it made a really big impact. You know, and I think she got embarrassed because she didn't say anything back. Um, But her cultures and traditions are, like, are crashing into the American culture of, you know, acceptance and uniqueness is okay. But even with the surgery, it wasn't like, oh, you're ugly, get the surgery. She knew that I really wanted it. And it just, I think, especially for her, it felt like a we were struggling just for so long, you know, like, I never asked for money for clothes, never asked money for food. And even to uh, so at our school, you know, they provide the lunches you can pay or if you're low income, you get food or whatever it was. And I obviously I couldn't get an allowance or anything. We, we were just there's no money. Uh, but she made food, right? So we had food and some of like the basic food that we, ha- we would have is rice. It's actually rice and beans, right? But the beans are Korean, they're black, and they're sweet, or rice and like an egg thing or whatever. It was a very simple food. And because I was embarrassed to bring it because I didn't want people to make fun of me or look at my little bento box. And of course, I had a Hello Kitty bento box. because I love Hello Kitty, you know, of course, I didn't tell anyone that or the chopsticks. So instead of bringing the food that I probably needed for nourishment, I chose to starve, right? So I would buy like a twelve pack of Diet Coke, and I asked my French teacher if I can leave it in her fridge, and I would have a Diet Coke for lunch instead because I was like a quarter. And I and I remember that memory yesterday actually. Like I forgot about it for years. I was like, how silly that I chose to starve and probably not be focused during school, and I wasn't the best student either but I chose to starve instead of just bringing the food that like I liked anyways. And it had to do with my rejection of the of my culture and everything again, but in high school, I was, I was still not who I am today yet. I'm working on it still to this day. However, I know like I, it sounds funny, but I love being Korean. I, I love that I look different. I love that my skin's different. I love that my eyes are different. You know, I love that I have this secret language. And most recently too, one thing that's interesting is um, K-pop is such a huge phenomenon. And I always loved it. Would never admit it to anyone, but now I'm like I don't care. I'm going to scream, I'm going to like sing BTS or Twice at the top of my lungs while I'm driving. I don't care. It makes me happy. And I wish a lot of times I wish that I accepted myself earlier on cuz like I'm thinking, man, all those all that time that I spent hiding and trying to be someone else, I could have just been enjoying what was in front of me. Um, But that was the journey that I had to go on, you know, to discover myself. So I don't think where I am now is the question that you asked Nicole. But did that answer your question?
0: It did. It did. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Uh, and luckily, like I said, my mom has been open in her unique way. She'll never say like, "I love you, daughter." You can be whoever you want. But I know that's kind of what she's saying in the the background because you know we're not very affectionate. But, you know, if if anyone is going through a similar journey, but they don't have that support, I hope that especially any Sunrunners can reach out to me at any time. I would love to talk you through it. I would love to be the support that uh, that you need because, you know, life is short. So why not accept yourself and love yourself faster so that you can love everything else that's around you? Love that, Kathy. Love it. Thanks,
2: buddy. I also have a niece and I how is that? the relationship of being an aunt to you know this like burgeoning korean american young woman like how has that impacted you how are how's it making you like i mean obviously i've heard of some of the things that's made you rethink but um i just want to know a little bit more about that
1: i am so conscientious about it because a few years ago i realized you know like there was there were certain parts of me that i just hated and i am like the biggest self deprecator ever. And I just kind of always thought, well, that's just me. That's just how I am. But then someone pointed out, they're like, I don't know anyone who self deprecates as much as you do. And they're like, I don't even know why you do it. It's not even like, it doesn't even make sense in the context or, you know, it's it's just, it stops the conversation cold. And I was like, why, why do I? And then why do I like every little thing there's, you know, and I've been working with a life coach, some of you, some of y'all know. And there's exercises that you might do where they say like, say like three things you like about yourself. And I I couldn't, I couldn't. And it wasn't just like, oh, let me just see this and get rid of it. I, I was like, okay, I'll just I'm just gonna give her a BS answer. But even the BS answer, I couldn't get out. There was no, I, skin, nails, knuckles, elbows, nothing. There was not a single thing that I could mutter the words out loud. And I was like, wow, like, okay, th- I know that if someone else said this, I would say like, what is wrong with you? You're beautiful, blah, 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 blah. But I couldn't do it to myself. And I realized it was because of the way that our family is. They just, it's just, we just critique a lot for whatever reason. So like my nose looking a certain way, I definitely was made fun of that. My eyes was made fun of that. My, my, My chin, like my teeth, especially, oh my gosh, made fun of that all the time. My neck. As a kid, my mom would sit me in front of her and she would like, Pull my head up literally while I was watching TV, as if she's braiding my hair. She like pull my head up in hopes that my neck would grow. I don't think there's a scientific process behind this, but it was like all day, and I was just used to it. My ears, like like everything, was constantly critiqued, and I'm not bitter at them for it because this is the journey that I had to go on to accept myself. But now I'm so conscientious with my nieces. So I was just there the other night, so I make it a point to tell them things that. I think are beautiful about them and that I appreciate about them, not just appearance, but Eloise, that was so nice of you the way that you picked that up for your sister, because we all we never complimented each other. We never did positive reinforcement. Eloise, I think you're beautiful. And at first, a few months ago, it broke my heart. She was like, I'm not beautiful. And I said, of course, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. And she was like, I'm not beautiful. Don't look at me. I'm ugly. I'm not beautiful. And I don't know what it was, but it broke my heart. And then my sister told me, well, earlier that day, she asked why she doesn't have yellow hair like the other girls in school. And it just broke my heart. But this past visit that I went, I just went, Eloise, I think you're beautiful. And she just like shyly looked up and she's like, thanks. Right? So I think she's coming to terms with it. I want and and. really, the the biggest reason why I moved to Chicago was not for the weather. It wasn't for the baseball or the food. I can tell you that for sure. Um the one time that I visited them a couple years ago before I moved here, uh, my niece was maybe two-ish going on three-ish, and then my other niece is about eighteen months. Um, and when I saw them, they looked at me like I was a stranger, and I was like, oh no, i can't I can't do that. I can't have my niece looking at me looking at me like stranger danger. So that's why I moved, and I want to be a part of their lives because we we didn't have, me and my sister were alone most of the time as kids. So I just want to give them a different experience. I want them to have a sense of community. And I want them to have a different sense of community. I want them to know like, hey, it's okay if you feel this way. Hey, it's okay if you feel that way. Hey, it's okay if you like this type of music. It's okay if you have those kind of friends. Um, Because I didn't have that as a kid. And I was just constantly criticized for those things. Again, my journey. um, But I want, it's important to me that As much as possible, her baseline of like her experiences are positive, welcoming, inclusive, and you know that she feels like she can be herself
2: because it's just so important. Thank you for that. Awesome. I got a lot of insight, and I think we have a similar mindset in that regard.
1: You said you have nieces too?
2: Yeah, I have a niece, and I well, I do have two nieces. Unfortunately, one of the nieces um, we don't we're not allowed to have a relationship with because of their mom. In the mom's family um but the niece that i do have i do get to have in my life like a big part of her life and it's like so important for me to tell her how beautiful she is and how smart she is and how she can be she loves legos and she likes she has a very like engineer way of thinking which i know because uh my partner prash he's very he has a similar way of thinking and i'm like oh my god <laughs> so i want her to i want to nurture that that like I loved math and science because, you know, in our community, they don't tend to do that for us when we're young females, especially. So I play Legos with her. I try to embrace all of those like parts of her that is really inquisitive and wants to do architecture. She doesn't really like playing with like she likes dolls, but she likes it more because her mom's a nurse and her mom. So she has this like really like intense nurturing about her really high emotional intelligence for a three and a half year old so she just is like okay I have to take care of this being I have to make sure it's well and healthy but I also want to continue to play with my Legos and build a really big house <laughs> so, um and just really I think I have like a some stereotypes around black community of intelligence I always want to really compliment her about how smart she is because I want her to go into the world knowing how brilliant she is and like not to dumb herself down because people expect that of her or that's what society expects of her. And so I'm like, you're brilliant. You're smart. You should make that shine. Nope. Don't let anyone make you feel like you can't be as smart as you are, but don't spell that down. And like also, of course, talking about other things besides her looks. I don't want like, because like you mentioned, like we can be fetishized, 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 and I don't want her to think that her looks are the only thing she hit's going for her body
1: have have has she brought up conversations about like appearances or anything like that like i have with my nieces
2: no so i think so my sister my sister had a was had a really tough like her life experience versus mine is vastly different um even though we raised by the same parents just like she felt very unattractive unaccepted even though she's really light skinned which is usually like you know, I'm the darker skin of the two, but I've always felt it's really beautiful, um, all things considered. And like she had, I felt like she had all the like positive attributes that everyone's looking for. And she just never felt, so she's been like really, really methodical about making sure that Nia knows how beautiful she is and like how, so Nia, like, you know, when you tell her, oh Nia, you're so beautiful. And I always say you're so beautiful and smart because I don't want to just I like isolate the books and she's like oh thank you Ani that's so kind of you like and that's because of my sister I know how hard my sister is working to make her not feel the way she's felt her entire life and so what I'm doing is I'm just like I'm like the adder like I'm like okay I'm the extra layer of um, my sister just making making sure that she continues to have those feelings of growing up and not get you know, of uh, outer, you know, going to school and like when she becomes like a first grader and then she's spending less time with the family and whatnot, making that sure that that foundation is really strong so she doesn't falter and like kind of regress into thinking that she's less than.
1: I think that's so sweet. and That's like such an eloquent way for her to respond to a compliment. My niece is just like, thanks. <laughs> but it's getting better. Like I said, she used to, she used to fight me on it. And then I, I think the other night that I was there I was like you and I was like you're so smart. I was like how did you think of that? blah. she's like you're so funny. And I was like I think that was not sarcastic. I can I don't think kids get sarcasm yet. But yeah, it's it's so crazy how at such a young age they're so impressionable, like really so impressionable. And those little like seeds that you plant, it goes such a long way. It's just and and, and in our culture too and and traditional Koreans especially from korea and that generation they don't believe in psychology they don't understand like uh you know the ramifications of saying something over and over again or not saying something Um, but honestly i'm i'm so inspired by the way that my sister and my brother-in-law are raising their two nieces because he's from korea my sister's born in la um but they're just it, it makes me so hopeful for the future generations of how they're going to just grow children out of like love and positive reinforcement you know because I think the older generation again especially from Korea it's like tough it out right like you know you you'll get stronger and tougher and, and things like that but it's like well sure but you, you can't also tell your child they're beautiful or that that you know like that their nose is fine or your teeth are fine or whatever it is. Um, but yeah I, I really love what we're doing as our society and our generation for the future generations.
2: Agreed. Agreed. And I think to your point too, like we were both in environments where we were the different one. And my sister's made a huge, like a massive point to put me in environments that are extremely diverse. So she sees a lot of young girls that are black in like varying skin tones and whatnot. So it's like, I think having, being exposed to that at a young age, realizing, okay, there are people that look like me and like, this is a normal thing helps with, building that foundation when you're, I was thrown into a, you know, first grade, I was, you know, I was in the suburbs. So I was, you know, the only, Um, so it kind of like, I had, I felt like I had to fight to find that, you know, unlike Nia, who's like, okay, I've been in a diverse environment since I was like one and a half.
0: (laughs) I love that everyone is, you know, taking their experiences and going, how can I make this better for other people and for the next generation? And, Um, just really inspired by that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Kathy. This has been really, really great. I just, I I love your story about, you know, just your, your journey and your positive, your, just your positive spin on on your journey and, you know, just learning to love yourself and embrace who you are. Um, I think it's, it's such a good message for other people to hear. So thank you so much. And thank you everybody for
1: joining us. Thank you.